Welcome back to Bible time. First Thessalonians 4.12. Um, here it says in verse 11 that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you that ye may walk honestly here in our verse 12 toward them that are without and that ye may have lack of nothing. We looked at that um, verse 11 yesterday, of course, and the um, this verse was we noticed was directly linked um, to verse 10. And indeed you do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia, but we beseech you, brethren, that you may increase more and more. That idea of infinite love that's also linked to brotherly love before. And so we noticed that working with your own hands, um, um, studying to be quiet, do your own business and working with your own hands positions you for powerful service. It positions you for availability. This is what sets you up to be able to be used by God. God in whatever capacity he wants you to be used in. Um, and if you're not set that way, then you're really not available to God. Because if you um, if you're running your mouth um, and meddling in everybody else's business and you're a lazy sloth, then whenever God com- whenever it comes time for God to use you, you will fail to be available. You will not be there whenever the time comes. You'll be out of place, out of position. Today we're looking at kind of a, an extension of that concept here, and the title of this message is Unhindered Service. Unhindered Service. He says that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. Now, this idea of unhindered service, we may um, alter that just a little bit because this here is the fledgling church of Thessalonica. This is a um, jump start church that God brought from nothing to something. They became examples to all them that are in Achaia and in Macedonia. Their faith is sounded abroad. They love the brethren all throughout the whole region of Macedonia, and indeed ye do it, he says, toward all men. They have a practical boots on the ground kind of love. This is a starting church. It's a wonderful church. But yet Paul says here in 1 Thessalonians 4 um, and in verse 3, particularly that he was desiring night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking of your faith. In verse 13 of chapter 3, he said to the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with his saints. So here um, we have this this whole um, idea here that this church is a beginning church and that this church is therefore in the early stages of discipleship. Though they have weathered storms of persecution, um, they are growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. They need to be established. And in the meantime here, they have these commands from Paul to study, to be quiet, to do your own business and work with your own hands as we commanded you. We made the applications yesterday to that, not only to the um, new Christian, but also to the old Christian, to the old priest even that that also applies there. And we'll see that that also applies today in unhindered service, that you can come to a place where you think that you're above work and you're above doing just the basic tax tasks. You can hinder the work of God and hinder your service of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here he says in verse 12, that you may walk honestly toward them that are without and that you may have lack of nothing. I'll never forget Pastor Reggie telling the story whenever he first started preaching of a banker 
in town that sat him down. The old um, old infidel did not believe in God, did not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But he sat Pastor Reggie down and he told him something to the effect of, it's, you know, this is third hand, so I'll probably mess it up. But the basic idea that um, I got from it was that Pastor Reggie said this old banker sat him down and he told him, he said, Pastor Reggie, preachers come in here. He probably didn't call him Pastor Reggie, probably called him Reg. He said, um, pastors come in here. God called them to take a church and then God called them to build on to the church. And then God called them to, um, whenever everybody leaves and leaves them with a big debt, they can't pay. God calls them to leave the city without notice. And he was basically mocking preachers who would enter into service and then not be able to make their, uh, make the bills of the church, um, go. And they would basically accrue debt for the church and leave it unpaid. And it was such a reproach on the name of Christ and such a reproach that this banker felt that he had the right to call in a brand new preacher in the area and basically give him a dress down right off the bat over the subject. And what a reproach that is to the name of Christ. Now, as you're growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, there's there's a time for everything. We observed yesterday, there's a time for everything under the sun, but there's never a time for dishonesty. There's never a time um, for walking in subtlety and in um, and stealing and sinning against God. All all the sin that goes along um, with slothfulness and laziness and everything that goes along with it. Go to Proverbs chapter 10. It is such a reproach to the name of Christ to have someone come along and say, yeah, I'm a full-time minister, and then proceed to use that as leverage to try and get you to give them favors. It is a reproach. It is a reproach to Christ. Now, unfortunately, it's a normal, commonplace thing in this nation. And in fact, you're looked upon as weird if you work for the Lord and you don't try and use it as leverage. But I don't believe it's right. And the Bible teaches that it's wrong. So I guess I'm right on that one. It's wrong to use your work for Christ as leverage. Now, God does... I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll get to that in just a minute. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 3. Let's read some scriptures here and make some applications. Let the word of God speak for itself. And um, after all, this is Bible time. Before we get to reading this, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray that you would grant us this, that we too might walk honestly toward them that are without, that we might have need of nothing. We pray, Lord God, that you would make way where there seems to be no way, Lord, for your servants. Lord God, we pray that you'd grant us the ability, the strength, strength, the skills, whatever's necessary to do whatever you call us to do. Grant us the peace. Grant us the purpose. Grant us the understanding. Grant us the power, Lord God, to do what you've called us to do. And help us, Lord, to never get away from this simplicity of the gospel. Help us to be humble people, Lord God, simple people. Lord, not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And help us, Lord God, to be willing to do whatever it takes to obey you, Father. In Jesus' name and for Christ's sake, amen. Proverbs 10 and verse 3 says, The Lord will not suffer the soul of the righteous to famish, but he casteth away the substance of the wicked. He will not suffer the soul of the righteous to famish, but he casteth away the substance of the wicked. Now, in dealing with this idea of monetary goods, we can see right here in Proverbs 10, 3, that God has a physical and a spiritual application. God will not suffer, the Lord will not suffer the soul of the righteous to famish, but he casteth 
casteth away the substance of the wicked. And we see here, we can see that to the righteous, there are eternal riches and eternal rewards that are far more valuable than those of the temporal nature. But then to the wicked man that just lives for this life, he says that God says he casteth away the substance of the wicked. And this will set a precedent for our study here that there is a physical application and a spiritual application to this concept of work. And so here we have in verse 4, he becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. There's a, there's a prosperity gospel that's being preached all through our nation that forces us to qualify these statements and to make sure that we balance them carefully lest the standard application and the standard interpretation of these scriptures uh, be applied here in our hearts and minds which is a misapplication and that is that God is promising physical riches to the godly. You see the Bible says, yeah, and all who will will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So if you're a Christian and you're diligent, your riches may still get stolen from you in the name of persecution. So here, this richness is primarily for the Christian a physical, is not a physical, but is a spiritual richness. He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. But that's also true on a physical sense, even for the lost. I know a young man, or he was once a young man, but I know a man that um, when he got one of his first jobs he ever got, he was working on an assembly line in a factory, and they had these buckets of bolts that he had to lift and hang on hooks. And it was a tiring job. He complained of sore, so, um, sore shoulders and aching back. And one day when the horn went off that signified that it was the end of the day's work, um, he had been lifting a bucket and he was so fed up and exasperated with his day's work that he just let it go and let it fall to the floor. And it fell with a crash and the bolts and the nuts scattered everywhere. And he laughingly told the story to the other young men that were gathered there about how he just let it drop and he turned around and looked over his shoulder on his way out the door and the manager and the foreman were picking up his bolts and his nuts and his washers as he walked out the door to his car. And then it it was such a surprise when he found out he didn't have a job the next day. Now, um, what happened there was your approach. The Bible says that the hand of the diligent maketh rich. That man lost his job because he was not diligent. He was he was sloughing off. He was slothful. He was a sluggard. He didn't even take the care and the time to even set the bucket down on the ground, much less to just finish the motion he was already in and hang it on the hook, but instead he just let it fall to the ground. And if you are slothful, if you are lazy, you will have physical want. And if you are diligent in this world, in general, you will have physical blessing. But if you follow Christ, that canon will be taken away from you. I'm reminded of some Christians down in Chiapas, Mexico that I read about, and they had um, grown up in the Catholic church there, which like all, all Catholic churches amalgamates whatever local customs, superstitions, and religious um, things are going on around it. In this case, they would go and they'd go into their um, little Catholic church there and sacrifice chickens and say their Hail Marys and do blood pagan sacrifices there mixed with the mass and everything else. And some of you conscientious Catholics out there are shocked and horrified because you have a different
different band of brand of paganry and um, heathenism that you've mixed with your Catholic with your Christianity that you call Catholicism. So you're kind of offended by that, but that's just the way the Catholic Church works. Just mix it all together and call it it's all good kind of attitude. But this family they came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, and the, there were a few of the men there in the village that came to faith in Christ. A couple young men and maybe it was the older father I can't remember and the village was so incensed against them that they would no longer partake of the mass that the village ran them out of town and they were living in the jungle. They were not permitted to have a job. They were not allowed to buy or sell in the city. And in fact, they so persecuted them that the next few villages would have nothing to do with them. And these people found themselves having to gather roots and whatever else they could gather to make to survive and also to travel to a village several miles miles away, a day's journey away to sell whatever roots they could sell to get maybe a tarp or maybe a pound of salt or maybe something like that. Just living, um, scratching their existence out of the dirt itself. In the Hebrews, it talks about they that wandered the earth in sheepskins and goatskins and had no certain dwelling place. And here in America, we have, we've been preaching this prosperity gospel so long. People's minds are so messed up that you can't even preach truth without it getting out of balance on the subject of biblical use of funds. If you're diligent, you will not be rich in this life necessarily as a Christian. The principle holds true in a in a basic scenario where you don't have persecution involved. In general, if you are if you work hard, you won't you won't lack work. My dad told me that when I was a young man. When I first started looking for work, I got a job at 16 years of age. My, that was my full-time job. I started working part-time whenever I was 14, and by 16, I was in full-time work, and I finished my high school education in the early morning hours and the um, later evening hours while I worked a full-time job. And I was highly motivated to get out there and work hard, and I'd been taught that. I also had that just in me, that I had places to go and things to do, and it takes money to do that. And I was going to go out and earn the money and make it happen. In fact, God had to kind of take me down a notch on that because I elevated work above what it should be. And I made work almost a doctrine in and of itself. I felt like I had done my duty to God and man if I'd went and worked hard and put in hard labor all, all week long or skilled labor or whatever it was I was doing. As long as I was working hard, I felt like I was entitled to my free time, my leisure time, and to spend my money however I wanted to spend it. And God had to break me of that. The reality is though, if you follow Jesus, you will be persecuted. And there may be times that you're the most diligent person in your entire city and you will still suffer lack. It says he becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand. That is also true. So for the Christian that chooses to deal with a slack hand, he will become poor. Now there's the physical and there's the spiritual. First, he will become poor physically and then he will also also become poor spiritually because a slack hand physically always relates over to a slack hand spiritually. When you're lazy, you're lazy and lazy doesn't really care whether it's spiritual laziness or physical laziness. It'll usually go across. It'll usually cross boundaries. Now, I will say that men who work very hard physically, diligence does not translate from physical diligence to spiritual diligence as easily as laziness translates from one to the other. 
For some reason, with our human depravity, you may be the hardest working man in your city and absolutely a spiritual sloth, unwilling to do the first basic tenets of the faith, to read your Bible, to teach your family, to pray with your children, and you've you've turned this work doctrine, as I talked about earlier, into a false doctrine where your work is your religion and it proves that you're a good man and a good daddy and you've let all of your spiritual responsibilities slide in such case you sir are a sloth so there's a spiritual application and a physical application that can be made to these verses. He that become he becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. Verse 5 of chapter 10, look at it. He that gathereth in summer is a wise son, but he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causes shame. This is pretty basic. Daddy's out there, he's gathering in the corn, it's time to get it, it's going to rot on the stalks, and his son's back at the house laying underneath a tree, um, having a servant fan him. Well, he drinks drinks his sweet tea and he won't get out and work and help his daddy bring in the corn. What a shame. And he's going to become poor. He's going to cause shame to his father. And someday he's going to be poor when his daddy isn't the one supporting him anymore. So you see the physical application here, but there's also a spiritual application to this verse. Uh, um, Just as there's a physical work and a spiritual work in the Bible, there's a labor with my hands holding onto a plow. There's a labor with with my hands where I'm holding a pen and writing on paper. There's a labor with my hands where I'm on my knees and praying. And there's a labor with my hands where I carry the gospel literally in my hands from door to door and house to house, from neighbor to neighbor. Labor has physical and spiritual applications. And here's a son that sleeps in harvest. The spiritual application here is to the church that will not work in harvest. Jesus said, lift up thine eyes unto the fields lift up or actually that's lift up thine eyes unto the hills is what I'm getting that mixed with from whence cometh thy help but Jesus did say to lift up their eyes to the hills or to the to the fields he says that are white unto harvest He says, say not. He says, it's going to be so many days and then cometh the harvest. He says, the harvest is already here. The fields are already white under the harvest. He said, work for the night cometh when no man can work. And it is time to be working in God's fields. And this application in the spiritual realm is weightier and has more value than the application, though true, in the physical realm. Do not sleep in this time of harvest. It is time to be gathering souls for the kingdom of God. It is time to be warning sinners to flee from the wrath to come. And if you sit on your hands and sleep during harvest, you will cause shame to your father that is in heaven. Proverbs 12 and verse 11 says, we got to keep moving here. I'm getting bogged down. By the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted. That is not the one I was looking for. That's Proverbs 11. Proverbs 12, 11. He that tilleth his land shall be satisfied with bread, but he that followeth vain persons is void of understanding. And Lord, have mercy. I could preach this one just all by itself. Uh, apply this one to the preacher. He that tilleth his land. Get your own Bible out and get the gospel plow out and study to show thyself approved, and you'll be satisfied with bread to give to your congregation. But he that followeth vain persons is void of understanding. All 
all you ever do is read commentators and quarterlies, and you are void of understanding. The Bible um, repeats this verse in Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 19. You can go there real quick. It's, it's nearly verbatim, but there are some very important differences here in Proverbs 28 and verse 19. He says, He that tilleth his land shall have plenty of bread, but he that followeth after vain persons shall have poverty enough. And boy, do our pulpits have poverty enough. Our churches have poverty enough. We've got red carpet. We've got white shiny pews. We've got chandeliers hanging from the ceilings. We've got programs. We've got buses. We have Sunday school rooms. We've got Christian schools. We've got everything under the sun that you can have, but we have poverty in our pulpits and no bread for the people when they come on Sundays because our preachers won't till the ground. They won't get down to brass tacks and get in the Bible and get on their knees and get a message from the Word of God. There's the spiritual application there, but there's also the physical. He that tilleth his land shall have plenty of bread, but he that followeth vain persons shall have poverty enough. Now, um, you run around following some empty-headed dolt, and you're going to have poverty enough. It's going to come. All these groupies running around following their spiritual gurus are going to have poverty spiritually, and they're going to come to poverty physically. And that's just the reality of it. Now, you can see that this verse could have been preached against Peter, can't you? He that followeth vain persons shall have poverty enough. And you can see the scribes and Pharisees possibly considering using this verse, or maybe they did, against the disciples and telling them, as they followed Christ, you're following a vain person. You'll have poverty enough. I'm not making too broad of an application there. We find the scribes and Pharisees in the book of Acts are confronted by Gamaliel as they consider killing the disciples and Gamaliel tells them, remember that vain guy that led all these people out and then he died and all that followed him were scattered and then he tells them of another vain person that people followed and came to poverty enough and he exhorts the Sanhedrin, let these men alone. If this work be of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest haply you be found to be fighting against God. But if it is of men, it will come to naught. If it be of men, it will come to naught. And so this has to be put in balance here that when you follow Christ, you're not following a vain person. And there's a time to put down your physical plow and pick up your gospel plow and get out and plow the fields for the harvest. There's a time to get out and get the gospel out and follow Christ. Christ, even though it looks like it will cost you poverty enough in this physical realm. Proverbs 15, 19, slothfulness here in the temporal world is going, will again translate to slothfulness in the physical world. Proverbs 15, 19, the way of the slothful man is as an hedge of thorns, but the way of the righteous is made plain. So the slothful man says, Oh, I can't, I can't do that job. I, I try to, I've tried to hire several people, um, tried to get them jobs, tried to get them work. And invariably, whenever I'm trying to help somebody out, it seems like every time that I do that, they always always have a dozen reasons that they can't do it. Oh, I injured my back 30 years ago. Uh, and maybe they did, and maybe that's legitimate, but it seems like they all injured their back. 
Seems like every one of them did. And they've always got a reason. I, I can't get a ride. I'll give you a ride. Uh, 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 I, I don't know if I can be there that day. I've got a doctor's appointment. And there's always a reason. The way of the sluggard, the way of the slothful man is as a hedge of thorns. Uh, but the way of the righteous is made plain. Let's make the spiritual application here while we're here. I can't bear to not. So the way of the slothful man is a hedge of thorns. Can you go door knocking Thursday? Can you go to the nursing home? Can you go and help with this ministry? Can you go and do this? Can you come to church for this event? Can you help at the church for this? And the slothful man says, oh, my, my back hurts. Only instead of back hurting, it'll come out something like this. I've got fence to build. Oh, I've got to work overtime. Oh, I've, I've got to be here. I, I've, got to, I've got to be at the cattle sale. I, I've got to go over this way. I've got to work on my car. And usually, spiritually, ironically, the slothful man spiritually will most of the time use work to get out of spiritual work. It's a it's an a, it's an amazing thing. It's a phenomena that you'll find some of the most diligent men in the world whenever you try to ask for spiritual labor. Suddenly everybody's working overtime. Suddenly everybody's doing 70 hours a week, 80 hours a week, 120 hours a week, and nobody has time for the things of God. It's like the blind man that comes in or the or the lame man that walks in with a crutch and whenever he finds out that he's got to work to pay for his hospital bill, he leaves with a run running carrying his crutch anyway same kind of idea so slothfulness is here translates over from the physical into the spiritual but ironically often translates over physically there is an epidemic in the united states of america of men hiding behind their families it is your job men to provide for your families but invariably men say i can't be a missionary i I can't be a preacher. I can't be a pastor. I can't be an evangelist. I can't help with that ministry. I can't do that. I can't do this. Why? I've got to provide for my family. I've got to go to work. I've got to make sure that we have enough. I've got to keep on saving. I can't give to that. I can't go to that. I can't do that because I've got to provide for my family. And full grown men hiding like little slothful sluggards behind their wife's skirt, staring around the corner of the skirt saying, put that baby in front of me so that the preacher can't see me and think that I'm available to do anything for God. It's an epidemic in this nation. Spiritual slothfulness is about to eat the guts out of this nation and it is bringing this nation to spiritual poverty. Proverbs 16 26 tells us that he that laboreth, laboreth for himself. So don't give me that about I'm working to provide for my family bit because in the reality at the end of the day he that laboreth the Bible says laboreth for himself himself. Yes, you should you should provide for your family. But it's amazing, again, how that physical diligence is used as an an excuse for spiritual slothfulness. It says, for his mouth craveth it of him. Proverbs 19.15 says, slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep. Is there any other condition that the Church of America can be called to exist in? If it even be a church, if it even be Christ's church, then to be in a deep sleep in this day, slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep. And an 
idle soul shall suffer hunger. The real reason we have hunger in our churches, in our cities, is because of slothfulness and idleness. I hear the cry go out. If only we had a pastor in our city. If only we had a good church in our city. And I would say with as much humility and tenderness that I can possibly muster in my heart with the grace of God that is in me, the idle soul shall suffer hunger. Listen to me. God has promised to give you pastors after his own heart. If you will turn to God with all your heart, God has made the promise. God has made the provision. The reason that we suffer hungry hunger in this nation spiritually is not because there's a lack of pastors, though there is definitely a shortage, but not because we have a lack of pastors, not because God has run out of um, material for pastors to preach. It's that our people across this land have fallen to sleep, have become drowsy spiritually, and they're idle souls spiritually, and they suffer hunger. They sit there in front of the TV. They sit there in front of their cell phones. They sit there on Facebook. They sit there on Instagram and Pinterest. They sit there idle souls spiritually. They may work long hours. They may have a solid financial portfolio, and they may be set for life because of their hard physical work, but their spiritual slothfulness has cast them into a deep sleep, and the reason that we can't get anywhere in this country and in cities and in churches is because of the slothfulness of our people slothfulness, laziness. The sin of Sodom began with idleness, great idleness. Before the abominations and the perversions come the great idleness. Why have American churches given themselves over to sodomy and perversion and adultery and fornication in their churches? It is because of idleness. It is because of slothfulness spiritually. The the old saying goes, not the Bible, but the old saying, idle hands are the devil's workshop. But I have something to share with you today. You can have the busiest hands in the world. And if you don't keep your heart and your spiritual eyes stayed upon Jehovah, your heart will become the devil's temple. Your heart will become the devil's workshop. Now, if you're saved, your, your, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And that is a fact, but you can defile that temple. And he says that if you defile that temple, him will God destroy. Proverbs 23 and verse 4, labor not to be rich. Cease from, that, cease from thine own wisdom. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. This idea of laboring to be rich has overwhelmed the church of America. And here in the same book that tells you that if you don't work, you're not going to eat. It also tells you labor not to be rich. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not for riches verily make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Matthew chapter 6. I believe it's Matthew chapter 6. I didn't get the exact reference here, so I've got to find it. Matthew 6, yes, and verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He goes on with much more there. Behold, he says, therefore, I say unto you in verse 25, take no thought for your life. I missed verse. 
verse 24, no man can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Notice verse 22 and 23, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? It's interesting that the evil eye in the Bible is never in my remembrance used in the word of God for adultery, fornication, or looking with lust, that the evil eye is rather used with covetousness. Eat not the bread of him that hath an evil eye. For eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. It says that that which thou hast eaten shalt thou vomit up and lose thy sweet words. The evil eye in the Bible is used in the parable of the men who received um, a penny a day for their labors and the men that were gathered at the end of the day received each man a penny and then those that came that had borne the burden in the heat of the day say to the master um, what these guys received a penny and we received and we worked all day and the master says to them is thine eye evil because mine is good is thine eye evil because mine is good and that evil eye was applied there to covetousness and this covetousness is as wicked as slothfulness labor not to be rich Cease from thine own wisdom. The purpose of working with your hands in 1 Thessalonians 4.11, not that you'd be rich, but that you may walk honestly toward them that are without and that you may have need of nothing. Paul's saying you just need your needs met. Didn't Jesus say having food and raiment therewith be content? He said the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Jesus set the standard at food and raiment. He promised us no certain dwelling place on this earth. But as Christians, we will not move for God unless we are financially stable and have everything that every American is supposed to have. And we can compare and compete with our neighbor. And that has cast us into spiritual slothfulness in an attempt to produce physical diligence and the results of that physical diligence, chasing the physical wealth instead of the spiritual wealth. Drowsiness, the Bible says in Proverbs 23 and 21, shall clothe a man with rags. Drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. The Bible says all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. You sleep in and miss your time to be at work and you keep on being a no-show, no-call, you're going to get fired. Whenever I started working at, at 16 years of age, I was fully aware that it was normal. And this is back, this is, this is not that far distant. But in the, whenever I started working, they had... I think that was the 90s. I don't even remember. I don't even want to worry about it. But back in the 90s, even in America, the 90s and the early thousands, whenever it was, somewhere in there. I'm not that old yet. But anyway, the you don't show up and don't call in one time and you're fired and you better not even do yourself the disgrace of showing up at the job site or that man's probably going to cuss you off the property. That was life for normal American workplaces when I was 16 and 17 and 18. But nowadays, people just, they don't show up and nobody shows up. And there's a laziness that has just completely swept across this nation physically. 
physically. But I want to just, I just have to throw in there, our spiritual laziness has what has preceded the physical laziness in this country. And our physic, our spiritual laziness is covered with fake physical diligence that is neglecting the things of God. Have you ever noticed that somebody, we're going to see this actually coming right up. Go to Proverbs 24. Somebody that is, um, somebody that is really really slothful in one area will be really diligent in another area to make up for it. They might be the most diligent sock drawer organizer in the world. And if you go in their house, they have all their clothes color coded and lined up and the house is immaculate, but they can't hold down a job. And that's not always the case, but sometimes it is. So we'll, we'll cover up our sin in one area with diligence in another area. So here in Proverbs 24, um, we're going to save that one and look at it in a second. Go to Proverbs 26, 12. Seest thou a man wise in his own counsel? There is more hope of a fool than of him. The slothful man saith, there's a lion in the way. A lion is in the streets. He says, I can't go out of the house. I won't make it to work. I can't make it to work. I would come if I could. As the door turneth upon his hinges, so doth the slothful upon his bed. The slothful hideth his hand in his bosom. It grieveth him to bring it again to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can that can render a reason. So there in verse 12, it says, seest thou a man wise in his own conceit, there is more hope of a fool than of him. Verse 16, the sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. Ah, that means that the sluggard has less hope than a fool. The sluggard has less hope than a fool and as much damage as a physical sluggard will do and it's damage and it will bring a curse and it will bring poverty as much damage as a physical sluggard will do a spiritual sluggard is so much the more worse. Now this um, go back to Proverbs 24 and verse 30 say um, I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding God have mercy on us today. The spiritual application leaps off the page. The physical is there. You go by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles that covered the face thereof and the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth and thy want as an armed man. And this application here is obvious in the real life when you drive by a trash heap of a house where everything's unkept and nobody cares about anything and the trash is blowing around in the yard. But America, it's time to wake up. Your walls are broken down. The thorns have covered the face of the of this nation spiritually. The stone wall is broken down. What is the cause? The Bible says that you can see the reason that you can diagnose the problem by this verse. Whenever you look at the spiritual destruction and devastation of America. The reason for it is the slothfulness of the people that call themselves by the name of Jesus Christ. Refusing to rise from the bed to pray. Refusing to rise from the bed to read the Bible. Refusing to get off their sanctified derriers where they're sitting in front of the TV and get out on the streets and preach the gospel knowing that they're powerless. Knowing that a lion is in the way. Listen to me today. The slothful have let the wall fall. The slothful have let the thorns overgrow the face of this once great nation. (coughs) 
Bear with me as I struggle to even speak right today. Lord, help me today. Proverbs 6 and verse 10, verse 9 is almost the same thing. Actually, go back to verse 6. Um, 6, verse 6. Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. God's saying, you don't even have to tell the ant to do it. It'll do it. Now, as awful as this is, in the physical realm, it's multiplied in the spiritual realm. He says, how long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth and thy want as an armed man. Almost identical, but here it tells us to go to the ant and to receive instruction. America, it's time. You don't need God to, say, to speak from heaven and say, get on your knees. You don't need God to speak from heaven and say, get your Bible out. You don't need to wait on a sign to show you that it's time to get serious about the things of God. Just look around at the broken down walls. Just look around at the nettles that cover the face of this nation. Just look around at the thorns and the thistles that have destroyed a once fruitful vineyard, a once powerful nation that was sending the gospel all over the world despite her faults, overcoming the faults, and being able to move on and be useful for the kingdom of heaven and for the advancement of the cause of Christ, but now covered with nettles and the wall broken down. Proverbs 27 and verse 23 be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks and look well to thy herds. This applies in real life. If you don't watch your um, nickels, if you don't watch your, your dimes, if you don't make sure that you're um, taking care of your finances, you're going to lose them. It says, for riches are not forever and doth the crown endure to every generation. Riches are not forever. Okay, that's that's basic. It says the hay appeareth and the tender grass showeth itself and herbs of the mountain are gathered. The lambs are for thy clothing and the goats are the price of the field. And thou shalt have goats milk enough for thy food, for the food of thy household and for the maintenance of thy maidens. You could preach quite a message off of this. I'm not prepared to do it in any case. I'm not thankful because I don't have time to do it right now. And you don't have time to listen to it right now, I'm sure. But we're going to keep moving on the message we're on. But here, this spiritual application, the flocks are the... Are the local churches be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks preachers you need to get out there and make sure that the hay is appearing the tender grass is showing itself you need to make sure that the lambs are taken care of the goats are part of your job too preacher the goats are the lost anyway we're not going to move we're not going to get into that too much proverbs 31 we find the virtuous woman and over and over and over again she's busy she's working hard she's up early now i've heard this applied all my life to physical things i'd like to hear it someday Maybe the Lord will have me preach it someday where all of these things are brought into their spiritual application, where every one of them, from the distaff to the spindle, the fine linen, which is the righteousness of the saints, etc. It'd be a powerful passage of Scripture. We're not even going to do that other than to just mention it here today. Here we're talking about unhindered service in 1 Thessalonians 4.12, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without and that ye may have need of nothing. There's a practical um, a practical preaching that Paul is doing here to the Thessalonican church. He's telling them, shut your mouth, go to work, earn a living, pay your bills. 
so that you may walk honestly toward them that are without and that you may have need of nothing. This puts you in the position to be used of God. This makes you available to serve God. You can say, God, I'm available. God, I'm available. I'll do whatever you want me to do. But if you don't tend your fences, you won't be available when God tells you to go and to do. There's all kinds of entanglements that can get into the way. Debt can entangle you. You can be burdened down with debt. Now, this is where the diligent Americans have um, justified their spiritual um, slothfulness because what happens in diligent America is that we go into debt, go into debt, go into debt, go into debt until we're so far in debt we can't stop working and then we don't have time or money. And we've got all kinds of things but no money. You see, things I can use but I can't give very well. How can you donate a skid steer to a missionary in Africa. It doesn't work. How can you donate that prize bull to a missionary in Zimbabwe? It doesn't work. (coughs) So we protect our money with debt. That's really the reason debt's so popular in America. It's a bad deal. It's a racket. The whole bank thing is a racket. I'm not going to get into that. I can. I've worked for banks before. I've worked for Chase Bank and its affiliates. Um, And as far as banks go, they're a great bank as far as all that's concerned. But um, overall, it's a racket. Every one of these banks, the way that they do it, the laws governing debt and loans, it's a racket. They don't even have to have real money to put to give money. But as American people, we have gone in for this debt thing so that we can protect our fake wealth. What we do is we go into debt up to our eyeballs so that we have to work hard to pay our debt and then we don't have money or time to give to God and thereby have protected our interests and we can act poverty stricken while living it up on the wealth of the land. But since none of it's really ours, we're Corbin free from giving to God. So um, debt can be an entanglement. Poverty um, can be induced by character flaws and this can be an entanglement. Being, (coughs) excuse me, being lazy cuts you off from being useful to God just as much as being greedy and covered up in debt. Sin is entangling and it keeps you from usefulness for God. Wealth can be entangling. Even owning things free and clear can keep you entangled. The Bible says to flee covetousness. We're to obey God. Now I want to say a word about ministry here. If money, if you're trying to minister for God and money isn't there to minister, minister, don't force it. You see what happens is a lot of times we know that God has given us a ministry and then the money doesn't come in. So then we feel like we have to twist God's arm to make the ministry go and twist other people's arms. And next thing you know, we're doing, we're sending out all these appeals for money and junk as ministers. And it always backfires. That's more of that covetousness. It's far better that you just go back to walking honestly, working with your own hands. If you got to go get a job, go get a job. But if God provides for the ministry work and you can put down your plow and get to work for the gospel, then do it. But um, that's basically just the application there. First Corinthians five um, chapter nine gives us the principle that God's workers must live of the gospel. And there's many other places in the Bible, Bible that gives similar instructions, but there's many times whenever God's people are spiritually slothful, then they, it will translate over into not paying for and taking care of God's work 
and then God's workers will not have enough money to carry on the work. What do you do? You get back to work. Just work hard. That's This thing says that you may walk honestly toward them that are without and that you may have need of nothing. This is, this is a baseline. This is a baseline right here for a church that's growing in the grace and knowledge of God. This is a baseline for the minister too. This is a baseline of Christianity. Just work hard. Walk honestly toward them that are without that you may have need of nothing. If you're working in ministry and you run out of money, get a different job. What would you do if you were working in ministry <coughs> if it wasn't ministry? Let's say you're working down at the factory and they stop sending in paychecks. What would you do? You'd get a different job. Now, I know this seems like weird and useless to some of you, but some somebody out there needs to hear this. I told the story about the old preacher that went to a church. They called him up to preach back in the 20s or 30s, and they paid him a nickel a month to preach. And the rest of the church was living on multiplied, much more higher levels of income than that, but they only gave the preacher a nickel a month. And he barely scraped it through. He ate potatoes. He had enough to buy a little bit of salt and potatoes, and that's what he basically lived on and he preached the gospel and he and he visited the neighborhood and he and he shared the gospel with people he was a he was a full-time minister and whenever he got done with that month with that year they said congratulations you're the first preacher we've ever voted to keep um, he was out of the southern baptists 100 years ago the southern baptists would vote every year whether or not to keep their preachers and so this preacher they said you're the first preacher we've ever voted to keep after a year and he said congratulations you just got the first resignation nation from the first preacher you ever asked to keep. And he walked out the door and some people would frown on him doing that. I say, huzzah, praise the Lord. Hallelujah for a preacher with, with enough sense to get away from a bunch of covetous leeches. People will bleed you dry. And then when you're dry, they'll blame you that you're dry. And then they'll call you bad names for being dry. Don't mess with that. If the money's not there, go get a different job. God's work done God's way will not lack God's resources. Now, God's work done God's way works two ways. This is a double-edged sword. You're probably already wondering how I could have applied it that way. Because God's work done God's way doesn't lack God's resources, but God's resources belong to God's people. And if God's people won't leverage their resources to do God's work, then God's work cannot be done God's way, even if the preacher is doing it God's way on his end. So if the people won't do it God's way, God's work isn't going to go. That's just reality. Hopefully that'll help somebody out there. Work hard. Don't be afraid to get dirty. <coughs> Don't be afraid to wear a suit and a tie. Um, there's a verse in the prophets that says, talks about neither shall the prophets, whenever God says, I'm going to, I'm going to wipe up the ground with these false prophets and they're going to be ashamed to call themselves a prophet. And he says, neither shall they wear a rough garment to deceive. You see in Israel, it got to this thing where because Elijah, the prophet wore a rough garment, all these other prophets thought, yeah, I'm a prophet. I'll wear a rough garment and then I'll look like a prophet. And it became a man of God thing to wear a rough garment. Beware man of God things. Okay. Beware, man of God things. Just follow Christ. If, it, if that means wearing a suit and a tie, then wear a suit and a tie for Jesus Christ. If it means wearing brogans and overhauls and a corduroy jacket, then wear brogans and overhauls and a corduroy jacket. Just do whatever you've got to do to follow Christ. That's the basic thing here. That's the whole idea of this. It's not complicated. 
I haven't got anything profound at all for you today. That you may walk honestly toward them that are without and that you may have need of nothing. Preacher, you're at a church and you know God called you that church and that church is starving you out. Listen, if <coughs> you go to until God tells you you're done. You've got to do that. And you may suffer and you may and you may be in a battle for a long time and it may be part of what God has you go through and that may be a good thing. But listen, don't make yourself do it. Do it if God tells you to do it. Otherwise, pack up and leave. Yeah, God called you to be a preacher. But if the church won't do its part, you can't do your part. Same thing to a missionary overseas. You're over there starving to death. Your family's starving to death. If God told you to stay, stay. But you better know it's God. Otherwise, just come home. You say, but I can't leave the work. But you can't keep on doing the work by yourself. It takes more than one to do God's work. It takes the church. God works through his church. Uh, This has been a hard thing to learn. But listen, if the church won't move, you can't move either. If the church won't go, you can't go. If the church won't send, the Bible says, how shall they preach except they be sent? That's just how it works. So what do you do if you can't be sent? You go home, you work hard, you pray hard, and you seek revival until God sends God's way. Don't get into this leverage stuff where you're trying to force money to force God's ministry that you know God called you to do. Don't do it. 2 Timothy 2, 3. 2 Timothy 2.3, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Don't get entangled. Endure hardness. It's going to come. You're a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Endure hardness. I am not condoning preachers saying, listen, I'm not getting the extra $15,000 a year that I need to um, support my boating habit. So I'm going to leave the church. Obviously, I'm not saying that. Okay. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Don't get entangled. Don't get entangled with possessions. Don't get entangled with jobs. Don't get entangled with anything in this life. Stay lean, stay low, stay humble, and um, serve God. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man, well, I have to tell you this, a young man one time was complaining because things weren't going good and he'd so-called gotten saved. And I told, I took him to Ephesians 6, the armor of God. And he said, wait, I didn't sign up to be a soldier. I looked at him and said, then you didn't sign up for salvation. God chose you to be a soldier if you're saved. And if a man also strive for masteries in verse 5, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. Verse 6, the husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. I've got notes here in my Bible. I've preached this multiple times actually as a whole message. I'll just give you the outline here. This is the cycle of consecrated service. Number one, endure hardness. Stand alone. Bear your cross. Follow Christ. If you have to suffer privation and hardship, do it to do what God 
told you to do. Number two, avoid entanglements. Only settle for God's best. Remove anything of questionable value from your life. Good is often the enemy of best. You need to be set up for unhindered service to be a good soldier. Number three, striving for mastery. Strive lawfully. Walk in the spirit. This is to abide in Christ, to not fulfill the lusts of the flesh, to not do the work of God in the strength and the energy of the flesh, but rather to do it in the strength and power of the Holy Spirit of God. Be filled with the spirit, the Bible says. Number four, partake of the fruit. And that's in your verse six. The husbandmen that laboreth must be first partakers of the fruit. They that minister of the gospel shall live by the gospel. If you're doing God's work, God will provide. However God provides, don't listen. There's two bad ditches here. Number one, don't feel beholden to people when they supply what God told them to supply for you to do what God told you to do. Just take it and keep plowing and keep fighting for Christ and push forward. And number two, don't get an entitlement mindset. You can go off both ditches. You can feel entitled or you can feel beholden. Both are wrong. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruit. You do God's work. God gives you God's pay. You get God's pay. If you went to a factory and worked 40 hours and you got your paycheck, would you feel like you owed them anything extra? No. And so it is with the minister of God. All these churches out here that feel like the preacher is beholden to them because they pay his salary are going to have to answer for to God. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. You need neither be beholden nor entitled for taking God's resources to do God's work, but you better be doing God's work and you better not be lazy. You better be useless. If you run out of money to do God's work, pray, seek God, and you may have to go way down. You better follow God. You may go way low And don't be afraid to go low financially. God will test you. But if you run out and it's just not there, go get a job. Work hard. Pay your bills. Walk honestly towards them that are without and that you may have need of nothing. Unhindered service. Just follow God. Just follow God. It's really simple, really basic. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you'd help us, Lord God, to walk honestly toward them that are without and have need of nothing. Help us to work hard. Please meet our needs, Father. Whether it be, Father, with a shovel in hand, a hammer in hand, or a Bible in hand, I pray that you'd meet our needs and give us our daily bread. Help us to stay busy, work hard, to be diligent, Lord God, not slothful. Not slothful physically, and assuredly not slothful spiritually, Lord. Help us in Jesus' name to be in a position for powerful, unhindered service. In Jesus' name, amen.